We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Indiana Pacers. Reggie from the wing. to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! Ten seconds to play. Seven. Here's a three by Oladipo. Oh, he hit it! Victor Oladipo from three-point range. 18.7 seconds left. Miller for three, and he got it. Reggie Miller with a clutch tray and a steal. Miller retreats to the three-point line. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Setting the Pace, episode number 20. Is that right, Fachi? That it is. All right. The Doug McDermott episode. Okay, Dougie McBuckets. All right, so today we're going to have Scott Agnes on in the second segment, so we really appreciate Scott coming on to talk with us about all things Pacers, current and some of the past stuff, just getting a little bit of insight from Scott, things that he uh, and has enjoyed about covering this team for the past couple of years. So, uh, but right now we're going to talk a little bit about last night's game against the New York Knicks. We're going to talk about Sunday's loss to the Philadelphia 76ers, and then just kind of hit this next you know stretch of games. And the, the, the Pacers have some tough games coming up here. We all know about it. We're just going to look into it for a quick second uh, without overanalyzing it like everybody else is doing. But let's start off with last night's game, Tyler. You were there at the game. You said you were actually writing a story about a pretty big win, and then you look up and the Pacers are only up by three, so you're like, man, I don't usually write stories in the middle of games, but here we are. So uh, talk to me about last night's game. Why do you think the Pacers struggled to hold off the Knicks? And, you know, what was the atmosphere like when that lead was getting down to three? Well, let me first say that I'm not typically one who uh, writes the stories uh, during the game. I usually wait till afterward. But I was thinking, hey, it's the Knicks, and I want to get out of here early tonight. So, hey, I'm just gonna go ahead and start writing. And <laughs> so I know I know some fans will say I jinx the jinx the game, but you know they they were able to hold on. Um, I do actually. I love what uh, 
Nate McMillan said after the game, he said that he's told his guys often, he said, players do not tank. He said, organizations may tank, but players do not tank, or we would call that something else. So he said, every single night, you, you can never take anybody for granted. Um, even Collison said after the game, it was kind of a, a tough game to get up for. But Knicks threw a punch in the fourth. Pacers were able to hold on. Um, I didn't really feel too much panic uh, in the stands, uh, even when they cut it to three. But it was just kind of like, all right, we got to we got to get this uh, got to get this win. And um, they felt pretty relieved afterward um, when they were able to able to do another another uh, you know ten point deficit early in the game. And then um, they I think there were two of their first thirteen from three point range, and they Ugh. made six six of nine in the third quarter. So they were able to turn it on, and that was really the difference because the Knicks hit threes all night, but. Um, the Pacers, uh, the turnover battle is what uh, won the game. Um, and then obviously the Im- improved three-point shooting in the second half. Guys, this is a win that I am not proud of at all. The Pacers are playing not too good basketball at a very pivotal point in the year. I mean, they are now 3-5 and five in their last eight. Uh, this is the Knicks that we're talking about. This is the worst team in the NBA it looked like you could just take your foot off the gas for a tiny bit. That's what the Pacers did, and it almost bit him in the butt because Dennis Smith had his fingers on that ball, poked it in the back in the back court. About thirty seconds left, that would have cut it to a one point game. And oh my God, it was a game that we absolutely had to have with this upcoming schedule. So, ooh, not not an enjoyable night for me. Yeah, I think Chris Neri came on JMV earlier in the day and said this was a must win. Now he said it wasn't gonna, you know, really make a difference if the Pacers lost. Like it wasn't gonna affect their playoffs uh, chances. But the fact that they needed to win this game, like you said, Fachi, with this schedule coming up. So looking at the schedule ahead, I know we have OKC next, but do you have that schedule in front of you, Fachi? I do, and I'm telling you, it is rough. So we got OKC, then we go on the road against Denver on the road against Portland, on the road against the Clippers, and on the road against Golden State. So that is very tough, and that's all just before we come home and play Denver again, then play OKC again, then play Boston. Six of the next eight on the road, all against playoff teams. Whew. Tyler, you want to break that down? <laughs> oh, that's uh, I think rough is an understatement. Yeah, we've we've talked about it for a while, these games coming up. You know, at this point, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I don't know if it was what a week or two ago, I said Pacers need to come out of the break six and one. They only went four and three. So those two games mm-hmm. that they lost that they really needed, um, that's really going to hurt, uh, especially when you look at this brutal stretch. And now we get to play PG a couple of times and the two games against Boston at the end of, end of March and in April are going to be huge if the Pacers have any chance of home court. Yeah, now I listened to Ryan Rosillo on one of his podcasts talk about the Pacers, and he's he's been saying, like, the Pacers are still hanging in there. And then he said, I kind of just was watching the Pacers in the standings just remain at the 3 seed, but I really hadn't looked at their schedule. He said, looking at their schedule, they're beating up on the teams they should be, but the teams that are better than them, they're not beating. So, you know, these these playoff games will really prove how, t- you know, how talented this team is. I don't expect us to lose every single one of those games. We're going to win some of those games. I have no doubt about it. But it's just this is going to be the biggest test for this team, and this could make or break the team going forward. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Like, if they go 500 against this against those teams in that eight-game stretch, I'm completely fine with that because 
you know, you're going to get beat against better teams, and you're going to be better teams. But if you can hang with them at least and not get blown out of the water eight straight games, the confidence level is only going to rise with this team, and the chemistry is only going to get better playing better teams, preparing you for the playoffs instead of playing, you know, some of these cupcake teams that are trying to lose on purpose. So that's kind of my thought on that. Fachi, uh, what's your thought? Guys, since Oladipo went down against Toronto, we have one win against the playoff team and that is against the Clippers, who had just traded Tobias Harris and barely even was able to feel the team that day. It's getting pretty alarming. This upcoming stretch is going to teach us everything that we need to know about this Pacer team going into the playoffs because you know if, if you can't go 4-4 four and four in this stretch, I'm not going to feel good about going into the playoffs with, with this current roster, especially what's going on you know, with Tyreek Evans that we'll cover in the, the Scott Agnes interview. That it, It's just, this is not the time to be playing poor basketball. Right. Tyler, I mean, what is your thoughts on this eight-game stretch? Uh, it's going to be tough. Thursday is a really big game against Oklahoma City because when you talk about that, you know, those six out of seven after that on the road, I mean – this has not typically been a team that has had, uh, you know, huge funks. You know, they finally lost three games in a row there when Oladipo went down. But other than that, they've been able to kind of hold their head above water and not lose too many games in a row. But this is one of those stretches where if they don't play a lot better than they have recently, it is absolutely possible uh, to go on a big losing streak and really fall into that fifth spot and, and then not feel good about themselves. So, Thursday with the it's going to be electric crowd if they can somehow find a way to get a win get a little momentum and then maybe maybe try to win you know two of the next five or so after that then uh, then things will look a lot better but this is uh, scary times looking at that schedule well and here's the thing too like if the Pacers do fall to the fifth seed it's not like out of the realm of possibilities if this team you know doesn't you know exceed expectations. We can't really be that upset about it. You lose Oladipo, you bring in a guy like Tyreek Evans, who has, you know, we talked about this, like we said later with Scott in the second segment of this podcast, but, you know, Tyreek Evans has not been who we hoped he would be. And so you're down two premier scorers. You, you know, Bojan Bogdanovic is probably having a career year this season, and that's why you've exceeded already what you have without Oladipo. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be too upset if the Pacers do end up falling to that fifth seed because overall like the 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 effort they've been showing since Oladipo went down you have to be proud of this team and that's one thing that we as Pacer fans and as an organization we hang our hat on this is a team built of pride and I, I love that they fight they're scrappy and if they play like that I don't really care what seed they get they're going to cause havoc in the playoffs whether they're playing the Pistons the the Nets the Celtics the 76ers whomever it may be they're going to cause havoc because that's just what they do so it's easy to get upset when you see him losing, but just remember this, Pacer fans, this team without Oladipo and without a Tyreek Evans that they thought they were going to bring in is still playing pretty good basketball, and they have a chance to win 50 games still. I mean, that's just impressive beyond belief. So uh, what are your guys' you know thoughts on that? Um, I'm, I'm proud of this bunch, but I'm also spoiled. I, I All year I felt that we were getting out of the first round I understand injuries are part of the game. This team has really held it together to the best of their ability. Very proud of this bunch. But, oh, man, I don't want to give up on that three seed. And it just seems more and more likely that the four is the best-case scenario for home court. 
and you got to try and hope that we can get that and take advantage of, of a Boston team that you know doesn't have it all together. And, and, and if we can get that fourth seed, I would consider that an absolute success. Any thoughts from you, Tyler, on this? Yeah, I, I agree really with, with both sides of it because you look at the 43-25 and 25 record and, man, they've just, as we've been saying all year on the podcast, just a team you can just really get behind and really be proud of. At the same time, you know, we're here in the middle of March and you you want to be a little greedy. You want just to, you know, one of your goals all season long was to get home court and, and win a you know, first-round playoff series. That is still possible. And, and so, you know, you really want to see that happen. Um, also, maybe selfishly, just you know, being able to go to the games. You want to see games one and two at home. You want to see some excitement. Um, if they're able to pull off what you know the the fans and media would call an upset, um, I personally do think that they need to be at home uh, to accomplish that or to have a good chance of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's what we're hoping hoping happens. But again, either way, you know, it's been a heck of a year um, when you consider the circumstances. Now we finally got to see the Pacers, this Pacers team play the 76ers uh no Oladipo uh no Tyreek Evans but Joel Embiid came back and I know that you guys were both busy during this time of the day so you didn't get to see the game and just got to see some highlights from that game but I actually watched the entire thing I was excited to see how the Pacers matched up knowing this was a pivotal game for that third seed uh the Pacers in that first half probably one of the best first halves they played since you know Oladipo went down I mean they flat out just were so defensively aggressive uh, against that second unit. I mean, the second unit for Philadelphia is not very good. Um, they have some decent guys. They have some hustle guys like a James Ennis, like a Mike Scott, like a TJ McConnell. But these aren't guys that are going to you know, break the bank and come up here and score 20, 30 points in a, in a series. So with how star-heavy they are, they kind of stagger their players a little bit. But one of the key matchups that was just really shocking to me was the 76ers decided to match up Joel Embiid against Thaddeus Young, and they put Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris on Miles Turner. Now, we know Thaddeus Young is not a great three-point shooter, so the 76ers were kind of baiting the Pacers into making Thad shoot threes, which is what a lot of teams do to them with Ben Simmons. So um, you really can't post up Thad against Embiid either because there's no way that that's going to you know, work in the Pacers' favor as well. And with Turner having quicker guys on him, He's not able to, you know, be as effective in the pick and roll. And if you're pick and rolling Joel Embiid with Turner, you know, he's going to get open looks. But when you're pick and rolling against Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler or Ben Simmons, those guys are quick enough to get back to Miles and close out on a shot. So just a couple things here. The Pacers have got to find a way to get Thad attacking Embiid at the rim where he can beat him off the dribble, um, in my opinion. And this is not a knock on Miles, but this is really where it hurts that he doesn't have a back-to-the-basket game. Um, if they wanted to put a smaller guy on him down there, I really think that if he had a back-to-the-basket baby hook game, this is where he could really make those guys pay for not putting a beat on him. And it might you know, change the dynamic of the offense if they had to switch and beat back onto Turner. So just a little bit from what I saw there. And on, then on the defensive end, the Pacers could not stop and beat. It, we've seen this multiple games throughout the season. Sabonis and Turner got in early foul trouble. Kylo Quinn got two quick fouls. I mean, the Pacers had eight fouls against him in the first half just on the big guys guarding Embiid. So, I mean, and, and Embiid was in limited minutes as well. Don't, you know, don't forget that because he was coming back from his injury. If the Pacers are smart, they need to look at how the Celtics defend 
uh, Joel Embiid. Now, I know that Al Horford has done a great job against him one-on-one, but they still send guys over to double-team him and force him to pass the ball out. And like we just said, Ben Simmons is not a great shooter, so whoever is guarding Ben Simmons really needs to go double-team Joel Embiid and force you know, and force him to pass the ball out of that so our guys aren't getting in foul trouble because the last thing you want is for Turner and Sabonis to get in foul trouble without Oladipo uh, for the playoffs. So um, just my initial thoughts from that. And, Tyler, listening to what I said, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on how we can go about guarding Embiid from what you've seen throughout the season, not necessarily the last game? I think a lot of prayer and intervention uh, guarding Embiid. <laughs> um yeah, this uh, the Philadelphia game was one of the very few games this year that I was not able to watch at all. But um, I, I agree with a lot of those points. You know, you, you kind of wish that um, – you remember all those playoff series where Kyle Korver was always wide open for some reason? You right. kind of hope that happens with <laughs> Simmons. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, by design, though, and just make him shoot, um, you got to find a way to stop Embiid. And, and I agree about the, the points about Turner as well. Um, the Sixers were able to – um, they 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 battled through their tough stretch of the schedule, um, going nine and seven in those sixteen games. So they uh, they've been through it, and they're they're a problem. You know, they blown the Pacers out the last couple times they've played them. Um, it's a it's a tall tall order, but the the, the good part about it, I guess, uh, it could be good or bad. But when you get a, a full series with the team and have more time to prepare, you know, maybe they start to notice some of those things that they can change and make adjustments game by game. But I think we all agree that uh, Sixers will be a tough matchup for us. Oh, man, it's it's he's such a handful, just like what Tyler was saying. Prayer, it's all you really can do. Because <laughs> if you guys remember, the game that we did beat the Sixers in, Embiid scored 40 and had 21 rebounds. We yeah. didn't stop, but we just happened to have won that game. So it seems like he's going to get his. You have to come up with some way to, to double team, like you mentioned, let Simmons try and force him into shooting jumpers. I'd, I'd let him shoot any jumper that, that he wants if it means that we can get extra help on Embiid. And also, you know, this, was, this Sixers team has barely even played all together because right when they got Tobias Harris, Embiid was out. So it, they're going to be such a handful and a team that I want to avoid in the first round at all. It, it sounds crazy to, to beg to bring on Boston but I do not want to play Philly in the first round, plain and simple. Yeah, and see, like, I don't want to play Philly either, but their bench, their lack of bench, really makes it enticing to me. I mean, if you're putting Amir Johnson against Sabonis, Sabonis is going to have a heyday down there. Um, and we saw Amir Johnson in that series, or in that game on Sunday. I mean, he looked awful. I mean, they were just attacking him left and right, and. You know, if if Embiid is going to play so far off in that pick and roll, if you have guys like Bojan and Collison uh, just attacking that, they're going to get a lot of nice mid-range jumpers. And I know that's against the NBA philosophy today because it's not a three or a dunk, but, I mean, 18-footers wide open are good shots. So um, I, I, I don't like the matchup against Philadelphia because of Embiid, but at the end of the day, um, I, I wouldn't be totally scared of it, if that makes sense. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid of Embiid a little bit, but at the end of the day, like that bench depth is so bad. I mean, they traded everything they had as far as bench depth to get two guys and Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler that they don't have any depth. And I think the Pacers' depth could really could really make this series drag on uh, in a seven game series. So, um, but other than that, um, I'd, I'd much rather I'd much rather play the Pistons <laughs> or the Nets. Yeah. 
even though the Pistons did beat us, they're playing really good basketball as well. I just we match up better against them in the Nets. I'm not too worried about those guys in the series. But yeah, I mean we just got to win these games here. The next couple, the next couple games, just take it a game at a time, and not overlook the schedule. They know this stretch is coming up. They have it circled on their calendar. All you can do is take it one game at a time and just play your best. So, uh, Tyler, any final words for this segment? I think we got it covered. I'm looking forward to see uh, Paul George, the kind of reception he gets uh, coming back once again, and um, obviously monitoring what happens with Tyreek Evans and and going from there. Yeah. Fachi? Uh, I got my popcorn ready for this Tyreek Evans situation because, you know, I was pretty harsh on him earlier in the year. Then I tried to warm up, and I'm turning back to being harsh. It it has been brutal. I want to see what the final situation is with that. And, uh, man, I'm always interested to see Paul George's return, just as Tyler mentioned. But this upcoming stretch is going to teach us everything about this team. And uh, I'm ready to learn. All right, Fach, I got to ask you, since you brought it up earlier in the podcast that we've done previously, if Tyreek Evans is dismissed from the team, is this a time you pick up the phone and call Carmelo Anthony? I already got him on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that wraps it up for segment one. Uh, stay tuned. We got Scott Agnes coming up in segment two. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Setting the Pace. We are joined today by the one and only Scott Agnes, covers the Pacers for The Athletic. Scott, go ahead and let me know, um, how much does it cost to subscribe to The Athletic? Man, you can always get good deals, I'll tell you that. So usually you can get 30 to 40% off. So you're looking at, I think, 30 bucks annually right now for a first-time customer. It's actually a pretty sweet deal. So no excuse not to get it at this point. Right, exactly. I mean, The Athletic has been putting out great content all over uh, – all different sports too so it's really awesome to hear that but uh you tweeted something out not too long ago about Tyreek Evans missing tomorrow night's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder and Nate McMillan uh didn't decline comment on that what is your speculation going into this with Tyreek Evans do you think this is the end of his time as a pacer Uh, I can't go that far uh just yet and it'd be surprising I think at this point if you know, he didn't finish out the season at all. I haven't exactly just yet narrowed down exactly what it is, but what I can tell you is Tyreek has been at the facility the last couple days. On Monday, he practiced, um, went through the light practice, and then went through five-on-five with some of the end-of-bench guys and video guys after practice, most likely just to get those game reps and and get some five-on-five action after really missing significant time over the last couple of weeks. First with food poisoning down in Dallas, had some bad shrimp. The third different guy to deal with bad shrimp, apparently, this season. Um, and then uh, what they called uh, basically an illness over the last couple of days as well. But now it's personal reasons, and we don't know just more, any more just yet. I've reached out to his manager and his agent, and they've been silent to this point as of recording. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious because Tyreek has been a huge part of that bench, and Tyler put out a stat yesterday, you know, when he's – got 10 points or more. I think he's 23. The paces are 23 and seven when he does score off the bench, 10 plus points or more. So he definitely will be a piece they need if they expect to make any playoff run. So uh, I was just curious, you know, if this is something that we should be looking forward to going forward, because um, obviously Aaron holidays there, Edmund Sumner's there, but um, if there was something that happened, do you, do you think the Pacers might, you know, look at adding another player via free agency? 
I don't think they'd do anything just yet, like to end the season. I I just don't think it, it'll get to that point. Um, that it's right now, at least all I've heard is that, you know, it's just uh, kind of a couple day type of thing. Now it could grow into something larger, but that remains to be seen. Um, I would be surprised if he was brought back though. He's of course one of those seven guys in contract years. And from the beginning, I just don't think he has been a good fit at all. I think he comes from, previous situations where he was the guy where he was dependent on scoring 20 points. It was, it was less of a structured environment um, and more about just being a guy that could score and get some on bad teams. He comes to this bad team. He comes to this group and more than mo- most of the teams around the league, I think is dependent on one another and less one-on-one ball. And I really do give him credit for the way he's uh, done the two man game alongside Demonis Sabonis, that's really worked out nicely. And a big reason, I think, too, it was important to leave him with that second unit um, once they brought in Wesley Matthews. But it it, it was worth a try, but it, it just hadn't been like a good fit, I don't think, even all season long with these two, two parties. Yeah, I agree. Hey, Scott, it's Tyler. How's it going? Hey, good well. to see you as always. Yeah. Talk to you as always. Yeah, you always right. draw the short straw having to sit next to me during games. I know that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a lot of fun sitting next to you. I think probably last uh, three or four seasons, you know, you do excellent work, and I kind of get a front row seat to learn more from you. So it's been awesome uh, for me to do that. But, uh, you know, I've been covering the Pacers for the last six or so seasons. You've been around much longer than that. So, you know, I can speak to how uh, different the locker room vibe has been in the last couple of years compared to just even three or four years ago. But as you think back to all the years you've covered the team, uh, how does this year's group compare to other teams in terms of chemistry? To me, it's one of the best, Tyler. I, I really like th- this group. I think, if anything, it might even top last year's group, which many guys in the recent history, talking the last four or five years, believed was the best. I also really think the one that stands out to me was that 2013-14 group um, that had guys like Rasul Butler, rest in peace to him, and uh, Orlando Johnson um, as well. That was a a very strong locker room um, before it all collapsed. Maybe it was the 2012-2013 season, actually. That was a good group. Um, But I think this one rivals it, if not tops it, for sure. Yeah. Hey, Scott, uh, Mike Focci over here. I have a question. Um, you know, Going into the playoffs, it, it looks like the Pacers could potentially match up against Boston in the first round. What do you think would potentially give a team an edge? Is it the togetherness of this Pacers group that you speak about or maybe the sheer talent of the Celtics? Which would you rather have going into the playoffs? I think just gen- gen- generally you would want the talent because talent usually wins outcome postseason. My big question, Mike, going into this postseason is who's going to be the guy when they're up or down three points with two minutes to go right now? Who are you turning to? And I think the answer would be Boyan Bogdanovich. Maybe you go inside the miles or Thad. That was part of the reason Kevin brought in Kevin Pritchard, the president, brought in a guy like Tyreek to be that secondary playmaker. Well, he hadn't really been that this year. Uh, along with some other things. Obviously, Victor is out. Um, so I, I think in those situations, I would take talent. But what would give, what certainly would give the Pacers potentially an upper hand is their cohesiveness, their togetherness, and their chemistry, like you talked about, Mike, because that's something that's clearly been an issue with this Celtics team, who I believe actually has the most talent in the conference. Mm-hmm. They just it, Guys just aren't willing or haven't been willing to this point to maybe step aside or, or make it all work because – 
they got some false. Um, that's that's kind of the good thing that came out of last year was guys realized what they could contribute. But then this year, when guys like Tatum or, or Brown are asked to take a step back as Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward are back in, that's clearly disrupted things. Yeah, now I don't want to jump the gun too much here, uh, but you know, free agency isn't too far away, and there's been some speculation on which pacer is the most important when it comes to re-signing these guys back. And uh, I'm just curious, Scott, out of all the guys that are upcoming free agents for the Pacers, who do you think is priority one to bring back to this team for next season? It's it's an easy response in terms of two guys. It's Boyan or it's Thad, and I guess it depends which one you value the most. I think for Thad, it's it's being that captain, that leader, um, setting the culture within the locker room, and I don't think that can be uh, undervalued at all. Boyan strictly would be your best player. I think he's 29 right now, would probably want a three, perhaps four-year deal, but I'm expecting him to have suitors and probably in the 15 to $20 million per range. So the Pacers, while they do have, I think, roughly $45 million in cap space, you have to believe that they'll spend some of that perhaps on locking Demonis Sabonis up uh, with a contract extension that he can do beginning July 1. And then you move down the line, and I think I would probably start at that. Without culture, you have nothing. And so I would probably start with that and trickle down to Boyan. Then you have a decision to make, obviously, at the point guard spot with Darren and Corey both. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about the fact that we don't really uh, envy Kevin Pritchard too much with some of those tough decisions he's going to have to make. But uh, jumping back a little bit into this year and, and some playoff chances, what chances would you give this team to actually win a playoff series? And do you think they need to have home court in order to have a chance to do that? Well, we've, we've seen right now the, what the Pacers have been able to do generally is go out and win on the road. I think they have the fourth best road record uh, in the league but you always want that home court advantage uh, especially in a postseason against brad stevens and the celtics team i think probably the ceiling of this group is that second round and i I think it's highly possible um it really depends i think how they can finish this year out they have 14 games left this next bunch i mean we've all reiterated how challenging and and tough this is going to be for this group but then if they can manage through it maybe go 500 or slightly below that then they have a reasonable schedule to close with four of six at home, a couple against Detroit, Orlando, a final game against Atlanta. Those are all winnable games. And even if the Pacers have a bad stretch on this upcoming West Coast trip, um, and then actually really with six of seven on the road, they face Boston twice during that stretch. So that's an opportunity for them to make up ground while also hurting Boston um, in the standings. But I feel like with this group, that second round is probably the ceiling. Hey, Scott, I was kind of curious. I don't know if you've heard any word on this, but is there any sort of timetable for Victor Oladipo to potentially rejoin the team on the bench, just kind of add some moral support? Obviously, you know just how important his presence has been to this team. Yeah, so there's no timetable as far as recovery or for him to necessarily join the team. I think it's kind of expected uh, or was expected once he can start moving a little bit because until then it's really not worth it. He's mostly Mm – doing rehab um, and stable, uh, stabilized, just sitting around, uh, whether it's on the couch or on a training table getting shots up, um, not able to really move around much. We did see the video come out this week of him moving around a little bit. Now keep in mind that's some of his first steps, so it's going to take him several weeks. Um, just speculating here, I, w- I would see it very reasonable for him to return uh, at the first of the month after the team returns from this 
long West Coast trip. There would be no value in him traveling along um, and, and subjecting that leg to, to all those flights and the travel and the challenges that come with that. But I, I would fully expect him to be here for the postseason. I think it would be hard time for him to stay away from this team uh, when these ga- games matter the most. Because, yes, I mean, even if it's just walking around high-fiving guys or pointing things out to some of these guys that haven't quite had that playoff experience, he's infectious with his attitude, and I think the team could benefit slightly from that. Couldn't agree more. I think that's the spark we really could use as the playoffs approach. And, and Scott, we had a couple questions here on Twitter, and they kind of uh, both kind of relate to one another, so I'll just kind of uh, put them together, merge them together so it makes more sense. But uh, a lot of fans are kind of frustrated with the offense that Nate McMillan has been running all season long, and, they would like to see the Pacers run a more modern NBA offense. Do you think, number one, that it's possible with this roster to you know, run a different offense and be more effective? And for those fans that are down in McMillan, uh, he's done a pretty good job this season, so what would you say back to those fans that are complaining about the offense? Yeah, let's, let's start with that first part. I, I give Nate a lot of credit and his coaching staff for their adaptability. You consider what they've had to do the last couple of months especially – um, you had Victor go down initially and miss basically 12 games, and they really rallied well through that with the thought and knowing that Victor would be back eventually. Then he did go down. You've had Miles miss multiple stents throughout the season. Domas go down only to return after a couple-week absence. I, I think he's done a really good job stabilizing as best he can w- with what they have. And, and even right now with Tyreek being out for an unknown period of time and Domas still not even 90% healthy, and probably he was saying that ankle is not going to be great until he's able to have the offseason um, to really stay off of it for a month at a time, um, that he's kind of just having to play through it right now. That's where I give the coaching staff a lot of credit. Uh, in terms of the offense, yeah, there, there's something that needs to be ramped up a little bit. And more than anything, I think it's the coaching staff doing what, what, they, what they can with the parts that they have. They're not playing very fast. They're one of the slowest pace teams um, in the league. They've been terrible at rebounding lately. And, and part of that is, of course, because Sabonis has missed time. He's been their best rebounder. I just don't know how much you can really change, especially at this point in the season. I mean, they're wanting ball, more ball movement, more assists. You can ramp up the offense a little bit, and that should lead to more scoring. Um, but with these parts, they're not, they're not a team that wants to um, get into a track meet with, with teams at all. So I think you kind of have to write it out for the most part with a few tweaks for this rest of the season and decide what direction you want to go with the type of players you're bringing in through the draft and through free agency, because obviously they'll have plenty of roster spots to fill with so many guys this season in a contract year. Oh, definitely. And Scott, you know, you're one of my favorite follows on, uh, on Twitter, but I, I got a question for you, you know, during your time, uh, your extensive time covering the team, what has been some of the most fun that you've had covering the team thus far? I think it's, in short, it's just been kind of getting to know some of the guys, their personalities, and what makes them tick. For for example, learning how David West had a, a big influence and made a point every year to go back to a juvenile center to talk to these guys, to talk to guys that made a mistake and realize, hey, it's one mistake. Get yourself some help. Get out of there, and you have the rest of your life um, to yourself. You have um, even guys like Victor who has interests off the court. You have Thad Young, whose passion for family and, and being there for a son Sunday morning when they're playing games 
Um, those are those are fun. Now, when it comes to games, I think any of those with uh, big big game feels to them, right? The nationally televised games, um, the postseason, probably the best series were back in thirteen and fourteen um, when they faced Miami. I mean, anytime you're going against LeBron James and he's coming here and talking to us media um, before every single game, that's going to bring a lot of attention to what the Pacers are doing and, and makes your work what I and others are producing um, even more noticeable and in the know. But the biggest thing I enjoy about this gig is getting to know the guys, their personalities, and what makes them tick. Yeah, actually, I had a follow-up question with that. Um, I know you had that uh, really good story with Thad Young, and I know that um, several of us in the media really enjoyed uh, C.J. Miles when he was here. He was always a great interview. But um, who are some of the guys that you know, you've enjoyed covering the most over the years? Yeah, I'll start with David West. You got to go to Thad Young, of course, who, in my eyes, has even trumped uh, where David West was at in terms of media friendliness and availability. I mean, he talked to the group today at practice, probably for five, six minutes. Then they went to go talk with someone else. I stayed with Thad for my own story for another eight minutes. Then we talked without recording for probably another two or three. I think he understands the business aspect of it, and he's willing to make himself available. So I appreciate that. A um, couple of my other favorites were Jan Mahimi, um, George Hill, Rasul Butler, uh, Roy Hiver in his early days. He really closed off his last couple of, day, couple of yeah. years. But it, probably his first three years with the Pacers, uh, he was the most fun, um, playful, energetic guy in that locker room. But since then, he's a little subdued and, and really closed off on us, and something that none of us could really figure out. Yeah, well, that's that's really cool, man. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and you know give us your insight and just you know speaking of that Thad Young story, what other uh, articles you have coming out for the Athletic? Yeah, so uh, with the Thunder coming to town, I'm writing a little bit about the Pacers, uh, what they've experienced with officiating, or excuse me, not with officiating, with the crowd. Um, with with people name calling and yelling, and even Nate McMillan was saying, yeah, that's kind of what we what we're used to, what we've come to expect in this, in this life, which isn't the greatest, but we, we come to become used to the, all of this. I'll also be writing a little bit about that young um, leadership off the court and then hope to dive into Miles Turner and uh, his defensive play and his, the way in which he's been able to defend the basket and, and provide that rim protection that's been kind of under the radar, I think, at least league-wide. Awesome, man. Well, you guys can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Agnes. There's nothing special to it. He's got the coolest name out there because nobody has that Twitter <laughs> handle. Uh, but, yeah, for all your Pacers content, Scott is the man to follow. Thanks again, Scott. We really appreciate it. I right, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We really appreciate Scott Agnes coming on and being a special guest on our show. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, give us a rating and a review, and let us know what you guys think. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3, and you can also check out our podcast on UpAndUnder.net. Tyler, Fachi, it's been a good one, hasn't it? Yes, it has. All right, Absolutely. guys. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we get to see that game tomorrow night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. It should be a fun one. Paul George is back in the building, but have no fear. But Domas Sabonis is here. So, all right, everybody. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace out. Okay. See you.